Good morning. Well, we're going to be continuing our series, This Beautiful Mess, Practicing the Presence of the Kingdom of God. As we've been going through this series, we've talked about how with the King, Jesus, comes the kingdom. When Jesus was born, he brought with him the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not something that is just in the future. There is a future coming when God is going to judge, restore, reign. But the kingdom is already showing up. In Mark's gospel, Jesus' first words are, Behold, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is giving illustrations. The kingdom of heaven is like, and we've gone through some of those parables where he's talked about the wheat and the tares growing up together. He talks about the mustard seed being small, starting off small and then growing into something large, or that yeast that's in the dough and growing and permeating out throughout the dough. And so the kingdom of heaven is something that breaks through and is continuing forward. Two weeks ago, before we talked on the baptism, we looked at the characteristics of the kingdom of heaven, what it looks like in an individual, and that was through the Beatitudes, as Jesus talked about these characteristics that make up the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those things that are a part of the characteristics showing the kingdom of heaven in our midst. This morning, we're going to take another view. We're going to look through another portal. You guys know what the portal is, those little round windows on the ships? I don't know why they made them round, but they did. It's your ability to look through and, and see into this area. And we want to look and see through this portal and what the kingdom of heaven looks like, but we want to see it as Jesus talks about it with children. Because throughout Matthew's gospel, children are used as an illustration. Picasso said, all children are artists. The problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. There seems to be something about kids that have this adventure within them, this exploration, this desire to grow, to learn. You, you can't contain a child's curiosity. Those of you who've had kids, you know that you have to get those special locks for the cabinets because they want to open them. And they don't need ladders. They use the drawers for steps. And it's amazing what they can do and how they can climb. And it's funny to see what parents try to do to contain their kids. You know, when they're small, they throw out a little blanket and put it on the floor. and They put the baby there as if that blanket is magical and the kid's not going to crawl off of it. And he could care less about the blanket. He's, he's going for it. He sees the dog. He sees whatever it is. Got to go check it out. This desire to explore, this adventure. And in Matthew's gospel, he uses children... Jesus uses children as an illustration in so many ways. When he's talking about judgment at one point, Jesus says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. 
The mysteries of God are clouded to those who are supposedly wise and learned, but kids get it. There's this understanding that they have. And so we want to look at a theology of children through the Gospel of Matthew and how the kingdom of heaven shows up in this example. And we're going to look at three different passages. And so if you'll turn with me first to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they can get you one. Keep your hand up until you get one and they'll get it to you. We're going to go ahead and start. Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of these things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. The disciples come to Jesus and they ask a question. They ask him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And we've liked to make fun of them because of this question, but it's a question that many of us ask throughout different areas of our life. If you're in the sports arena, you'll ask, Who, who's starting? Who, who's going to be playing? If it's in the business world, you might ask, who's getting that promotion? Who, who's who's going to have that position? And so it, it's an adult question. It's a common question. It's something that people ask all the time, and I know we give them a hard time, but really it's a legitimate question. They're wanting to know, what role are we going to have in this kingdom? How, how are we going to be there and how do we promote ourselves? And so as they ask this adult question, Jesus brings this child in. And we have such a tendency to disregard children. We have such a tendency just to not allow them to put input into our lives. We think it's our job to, to train them. And we never think that they are actually going to train or teach us. At least most of the time we don't think that way. And so Jesus brings this child, and, and you can imagine what's going on through the disciples' mind. Okay, here's, what's, what's the kid doing here? We're having a, a business meeting. What's with the kid? They wouldn't say that to Jesus, probably. 
But the idea is like, okay, and then he goes, this is what you got to be like. And when Jesus tells them, truly I tell you, unless you change, that word change means converted. You have to be converted to be like a child. And so immediately we start to wonder, what is a child? What do we need to be converted to? And one of the first things that comes to mind, even as we went through this on Thursday nights as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, when we ask, okay, what is a child, what does that symbolize to you? What are the things that stand out to you? The first one almost always is innocence. There is this innocence about children that's disarming. Kids aren't worried about so many of the things that we worry about. I used to love it when our, our kids were small. You know, they're, they're just learning how to walk. They kind of more waddle. You know how they kind of fall forward. And you would give them a bath. And you'd scrub them up and they'd be all clean. And they had those towels that have the little hood on them. You know those towels? I think those are the coolest thing. I don't know why they don't make those for adults. But they, they have those towels and you put the little hood on them and they get out of the bathtub and you have to hold on to them because once you put them out of that bathtub, you put that towel, boom, they're gone. And there they go running through the house laughing, naked as can be. They don't care if you have company over. They don't care. They're, ah, you know, they're just smiling ear to ear. I'm clean and I'm free. You know, they're just going for it. There's just this, I don't care what you think. I feel good. And it just makes you smile. Because they're so carefree. It's this permagrin on their face. This laugh that's contagious that comes from the gut and just echoes throughout the house. But if we did that, we'd call the police. <laughs> but there is a freedom that takes place in the heart of a child. There is a disarming in how little they care about what other people think. And yet with us, it's so much different. And, and as Jesus goes on and he talks about these things, that we need to be like a child if we're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven and then welcome, welcoming a child is supposedly this connection to Jesus, that there is this understanding that those who are weak, those who are dependent, have the eye of God upon them. And if we want have the eye of God upon us, then we need to care about those who God cares about. And that's the children and woe to those who cause stumbling. And even though that stumbling is going to come, woe to the people by whom it comes. And he gives us this just stark contrast of how important it is to understand this. It'd be better if you cut your hand, your foot off, gouge your eye out than to cause this kind of stumbling. It'd be better to enter into the kingdom maimed and blind with one eye than to be thrown into the eternal fire. This is really important. And Jesus is playing on this importance. And so as the disciples hear this information about children, 
kingdom of heaven is like children. You've got to be converted. We have to be like a kids. They're, they're going through and they're wondering about things. And Jesus moves on throughout the gospel. He starts talking about forgiveness, the need to forgive our enemies. He talks about divorce as they come up to him and test him. Hey, is it lawful to, to write a you know, certificate of divorce? Is that okay? All these adult questions, all these important things for us to move on in life, all these things that are necessary. And then we come into another passage in chapter 19. Starting at verse 13. It says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and prayed for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Doesn't that crack you up? It's like, you guys... They're going to write about this. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. And listen again, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Once again, Jesus uses children as an illustration that his kingdom, it belongs to these. And he's saying this to push our minds to a place, to, to force us to think. The disciples, even though they had just heard about little children, their importance, don't stumble them. You know, here comes these kids. Hey, can you pray for our children? And it's like, hey, don't you know we're talking about important things here? The master just talked about divorce, okay? Get the kids out of here. We're probably going to talk about some eschatology here, or the end times, or, or something important. So just get your kids and move on, because kids are just annoying. There's no way that they can just, I mean, they'll walk right up to you and stare at you in the face. They don't have any shame. They'll just look at you. I was like, make you feel uncomfortable. Here's this little three-year-old staring you down. Like, what are you, mad dogging me? Hey, what's going on, you know? They just have this front about them that has no concern about so many of the things that we do. And they're loud. They don't know that this is a meeting. They don't know that Jesus is speaking. Shh, Jesus is talking here. They just burst out laughing. They just start running around. They start punching on each other. They start screaming. Don't they know how important this is? And so the disciples go to shoo them away, and Jesus says, Don't do that. Don't hinder them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. It belongs to them. Now, we don't baptize children because baptism is something that requires a, a conscious decision. It's a, a choice you're making to identify with Jesus. But what we'll do is actually dedicate children. And as I'm reading this passage, I'm thinking, well, if the kingdom belongs to them, they're really the ones that probably should dedicate us. You know, we, we come and we pray for the kids. Lord, watch over. And this kid, Jesus says, no, they've got it. 
you need to get what they've got. And there is this understanding. It's not like you don't teach your kids about God. You don't educate them in this, the things of the Lord. But there is something within them already, a faith and a belief in them that we actually need. They have things that we lose. It's so much easier for a child to come to faith in Christ than an adult. Well, that's because we're mature. No, that's because we get hardened. That's because we get prideful. That's because of the problem within us. The kids don't have that problem. And so the youngsters are quick to believe. As you get older, it becomes harder and more difficult. And Jesus says, you need to be like them. You think of kids and the things that they trust in just so completely. You pick your kid up and they don't worry. Hey, you got me? You okay? Because if you drop me, you know, I, I can't do much. It could cause some real problems to me if you let me go. They don't even think about that. They don't think, hey, how are things going? Are you going to be able to provide food this week? You know, I'm feeling a little hungry right now, and I've been feeling hungry every day, I've noticed. So what's the plan? It's so in the moment, you're going to take care of me. You, you have to. You're my parents. You're not going to drop me. I'm not worried about it. I don't think about it. That's not a concern. But how does that look with us? How many times do we feel like, God, have you dropped me? God, have you forgotten about me? Lord, how are you going to take care of me? Don't you know my circumstances? And Jesus says, oh, the kingdom belongs to these. They have faith. You need what they have. I think back and just being an adult and my four children and growing up, and I think how much more I could have learned from them had I listened. And it's not like kids are perfect, okay? We all know that, or we should all know that. If you don't, you'll find out real soon. Wait till they turn 13. <laughs> it's not that they're without sin, but there are things that they are aware of that we should listen to. There are things that they are involved in that we should key on. If I would have listened to my kids when they were younger, I probably would have seen some of the things that were taking place in the church environment that I was blind to because I was in the midst of it. Some of the hypocrisy that took place that they could see clearly and I couldn't. So many times the kids can teach you if you will look at them to learn. If you will listen with your heart to understand and get the lessons from them, they have so much that we can give. But we think it's our job. I'm here to teach you because I have such wisdom. I've been to high school. Let me tell you how it works. And we feel that we have this knowledge of all these things. And let's face it, parents, 
we don't have much of a clue. Most of it, we're groping our way. I think I should do this. Did that work? No. Okay, let's try this with the other one. You know, it's like, we're going to, well, we'll just count our losses on this one. We'll, we'll work on this child. You're, you're, I mean, we, we make mistakes. How many of you parents can look back and say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I was upset with that. Oh, I didn't think clearly on that one. I mean, it just happens. It's embarrassing. It's frightening. We have so much to learn. And instead of having this idea of it's only us giving to them, what if we looked at children with the idea of understanding what we can learn from them? What could we gain? What is there to gain from our kids that we don't normally look at? As Matthew continues, he talks about this rich ruler in the following verses. This man comes up and he says, I want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, well, keep the laws. He goes, I've done that ever since I was a little kid. He goes, okay, get rid of all the things that you have. Give them to the poor and then come follow me. And it says that he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. And then Jesus says how hard it is for those who are rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The disciples freak out. What? Think about it. Kingdom belongs to this little kid. This guy, this guy is the kind of guy you would want on your church board. This guy knows the scripture. This guy is loaded. He's a ruler. He's got it all. He's probably good looking because God's unfair that way sometimes, you know? It's just this guy has it all going for him. And he doesn't get into the kingdom of heaven, but these kids do? And you see, it shows how we think. What are we trying to get? We're trying to get all the stuff this rich ruler has. We're trying to get the financial security. We're trying to get the stability and understanding of what the boundaries are. We're trying to have everything figured out. Most of us want to be like the rich ruler, not like the children. And Jesus says the kingdom belongs to them. Don't hinder them. How hard it is for these to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples are just turning inside out right now. Wait a second. How do you do this? And he says, with God, all things are possible. With man, some things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. And so Jesus, again, is bringing this understanding. The kingdom of heaven is just like these kids. They're not vying for position. They have faith. They're innocent. They believe. They can approach me without hindrance, without worry. They're not trying to impress. They're not self-consumed with the things that we get consumed with. They're living their lives. And here you are worrying about these things. And so Jesus continues in his teachings. He goes through some parables some illustrations. And then we come to another passage, chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. We've called this passage, or it's been known as the triumphant entry. And this is 
a really telling passage. Verse 1, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth praise? And he left them and went out the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Here is the final week of Jesus' life. He, he goes into Jerusalem and there is a stir. Everyone is up in arms. Jesus is here. It's a big celebration. And the streets, they're crying, Hosanna to the Son of David, which is a declaration of the Messiah. Hosanna in the highest. And as Jesus comes into the temple, he goes into their place, the outer court, where they are making a profit off of the people. They are selling things to, to make a profit. They are forcing the people. If you want to worship God, you have to get a proper and uh, authorized sacrifice. You can't just bring your turtle doves because they're not good enough for God. You need to buy our authorized, stamp approved from the temple courts turtle doves. And they cost a little bit more. And there's money changing that's going on. You give us your dollar, we'll give you 50 cents worth of turtle dove kind of a thing. And, and so they're making money on them. And Jesus goes, and you've got to picture the chaos that's taking place. There's people following him. He goes in there, and he just starts throwing tables, starts knocking things over. There's money going everywhere. Everyone's like, what the heck's going on? Jesus declares, my house is to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of robbers. And in this commotion, 
The people who are in need, those who are blind and lame, are, are coming to Jesus and they're being healed. And when these wonderful things are happening, the teachers of the law come in and they hear the children. The children are worshiping in the temple in the middle of all this. They are probably having a blast. You know how it is with kids. If there's chaos, they're happy. When things are out of control, they're having a great time. When we were working on our house and doing construction, the kids loved it. There's no wall, there's just plastic and outside. Isn't this cool? I guess. We had to bring the refrigerator out of the kitchen and put it in the living room next to the TV. It was the greatest thing in the world. I could just walk right there, get something, and there's the TV. What else do I need? The kids are having a monumental time. The religious leaders are seeing the chaos. They're seeing the turmoil. And the kids are singing praises. Now, they're not like some Vienna choir. I don't think they were all, Hosanna. I think they were running around. I think they were jumping. They were singing the things that they heard coming down when Jesus was coming into the city. They are just going, but they are just singing, Hosanna. And it's like, they get it. They see what's happening. This is a time of celebration, and they are worshiping. And you, you're worried about your money. You're there picking up your coins. You're there trying to catch those doves. You're worrying about the prophet. You're worrying about how you're going to hold face. You're worrying about keeping your control. You're worrying about all the stuff. You're like the rich ruler. The kids don't care about that. Here they are singing praises. And he quotes from Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And through the, the lips of children, you've ordained praise. They get it. How is it that the king is in the temple and the only ones who are singing are the children? The only ones who really get what's going on are these kids. Do they theologically understand? No. They just got it. They were just living it. They were just experiencing it. What happened to us? Well, I shouldn't say us. Maybe I should say me. What happened to that being alive in the moment? What is... Matthew asking us to see through this portal with these children. What is he trying to, to make us aware of as he keeps bringing up these children, bringing them into focus and having Jesus give us this declaration of who they are and why they are privileged in God's sight? What do we need to see in them? What do we desire when we look at them. 
And I want to leave with maybe like three things that we can kind of talk about. One is I think we need to relearn innocence. Something happens to us when that innocence gets taken away. There is a scar that doesn't heal. And our lives get wounded because of the things that we experience. And we need to recapture innocence. That young girl who had this idea of love and what love was going to be and it was romantic and it was beautiful. And then when it came to just sex and it was just this physical relationship, something just cried inside of her because this isn't what I was expecting. But I guess this is what it is. The beauty that a young boy sees when he sees a, a girl. I can remember my, my kids, some of my boys, when they would see this young lady and she'd be beautiful. I remember one of them just standing and goes, wow, she's pretty. Wasn't ashamed. I was like, really? You just said that out loud? Well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it was just, she's pretty, but then something happens and it starts getting twisted. And pretty soon what is beautiful turns into pornography and the innocence corrodes and it gets ugly. We need to relearn innocence that I can trust God, that I, I know that He is my Heavenly Father, that I can have faith in Him. We need to be innocent to sin. We need to be innocent to what hatred is or to what unforgiveness is. Kids are so quick to forgive. Be with a kid and your neighbor and pretty soon you're fighting, you're throwing blows, you just hate each other. Ah! Half hour later after lunch, you're playing again. What happened? Huh? We're friends. But man, you get older and boy, we hold grudges, don't we? I can't forget. We need to be innocent again. The second thing I think we need to do is embrace the simplicity of unearned receiving. And this one is tough. It's hard for us to receive. When someone gives me something, I'm like, no, no, it's okay. I feel uncomfortable. No, you don't need to do that. I don't want this. My wife is worse. She's just like, no, 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 did you, did you take that? They gave it to me. I tried to say no. Well, you should have said no stronger. I tried to say no stronger. You weren't there. You don't know. <laughs> I did say no. And it's so hard to, to receive things, I think, sometimes. Kids, on the other hand, have no problem. My kids at Christmas time. They never came after Christmas. All the packages are open. Oh, Dad, you shouldn't have. 
really, I don't need all this stuff. I could have done with so much less. Here, take some of it back. I didn't open these yet. Nah, uh-uh. If anything, it's the other way around. Well, I didn't get everything I wanted, and I want a lot. Do I get any games with this? Xbox? No. Man, I wanted some games. What am I supposed to do now? This embrace of simplicity of learning to receive. You see, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants to give. He says, ask, please ask, because he desires to give. And he who asks receives, and he who knocks, it's open. He who seeks, they find. God is wanting to give more than we are wanting to receive. And I think in children we can understand, I can go up to Jesus even though he's in the middle of this big dialogue with these adults. I can go right up to him, I can stare at him in the face and just look at him. And he's not going to shoo me away. That I can come to my Heavenly Father and I can say, Man, you know what's going on around here? Life is crazy right now. And he is looking at me and he's not shooing me away. I need to be like that kid and come to him. When something happens, when your children are young, they get hurt, they run to you. They don't ask, Is it okay? If I come and get a hug right now, I just skin my knee. They just run. They know they can receive what they need right now. Do you know that with your father? Do you know that you can go to him right now, right where you're at? You bring the dirt. You bring the skin knees. You bring whatever you have. You can come to your heavenly father and receive what is necessary right now. He's not going to turn you away. We need to have this understanding and ability to receive without feeling, well, then I'm going to owe God something. And lastly, I think we need to engage in an unashamed act of worship. We need to stop worrying about how our life with God looks to others. We just start living in this relationship with God. If you ask a kid, if you could worship God any way you wanted to, what would you do? Interesting, the responses you can get. i dance. How cool. I'd, I'd like to worship God by petting animals, playing animals. Okay. That's interesting. I mean, I, I like to do cartwheels. Cool. There's a Pentecostal church. You can do that down there, I think. <laughs> you see, there's this unashamed ability to, to worship and, and what they can do. I just like to be with my friends. You know, it's funny. I mean, kids have all these things that they just, it's just a part of who they are. They just do it. 
And it becomes acts of worship. They're just in the temple skipping and jumping and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And Jesus says, they're worshiping me. You might say, no, they're not. They're out of tune. They're not carrying on. They're jumping over people. Look at him. He's on the table. You can't call that worship. He's having fun. Kids like to be in community. They like to be with people. What do you do to punish your kids? Give them a timeout. Right? Okay, hey, no. You go in your room, you got to be by yourself. You get in a timeout. Oh, you can't go to the birthday party because you act this way. Our punishment is taking them away from those things. You tell a mother of children, you get a timeout, she go, oh, right. You know, she's going to go in there. I got a timeout. I'm going to go and make myself a bath and then... Time out time. No, kids, they want to be with people. We, we want, I need some time. Isn't it interesting that they want to be with others and we like to have time to ourselves? Kids have so much to teach us. Matthew is painting this subtle picture of children. How Jesus sees them as getting it. How are we going to take that information? What are we going to do with this understanding that children have something that we need? Here's the thing. I know every one of you here was once a kid. It's just how it works. There was a time when Jesus was saying these things about you. That you were in this place understanding what happens to us. It, it, time is a funny thing, isn't it? I can remember so vivid things that happened 40 years ago as if I was there. I remember when the guy fell on my head and I cracked my head open on the street, ran home. I remember taking the jumps on my bicycle on the curb. I can remember going up the mountains with my friend on the mini bike and having a little sack lunch that we made and sitting there and overlooking Hollywood up on Blue Jay Way. It's, I, I remember that, I can see all that was going on, it's like right there. You know, we have the memory of these events, but do we have the memory of what it was like to be who we were at that time? Do we have the memory of the carefree life we used to live? Not worrying about all the things. Who do you want to be, the rich ruler or the children? What kind of concerns are overwhelming you? Do you remember when that wasn't the case? Because what Jesus is saying, this is faith. That of these little children. You need that with your heavenly father. Can we take who we were back then and our trust and our excitement for life and bring that into our lives today? right here, right now. And I know some of your circumstances. I know some of the hardships that you are facing. I'm not trying to be simplistic. I'm not trying to 
make little what you're going through. But what I want to do is make big what Jesus has for us to learn through these little children. If we could embrace what he is saying and look at these kids and say, what do I need to be like in them, in my relationship with God? Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. How can I be like them? In what ways can I be like them? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for bringing us to a place of reflection. That your words about children spark curiosity. It brings back memories of when we were carefree and kids. Or, Lord, maybe there's some here who have a hard time remembering that, that our lives have become so polluted, so clouded with worry that we are having a hard time relearning innocence, that we're having a hard time being able to receive, that we forgot what it was like to be dependent, that we struggle to trust. And so God, in our condition, Give us insight into who we need to become. May we look through this portal at these children and may they be our teachers. May they lead us closer to you and to our relationship with you. May they help us to regain faith, to regain innocence, to regain unashamed dependence and to regain excitement I remember my kids waking up singing God I don't know when the last time I woke up singing was but it's been a long time Lord I pray I can wake up singing that my life would be an exciting adventure because you are my God you are with me and there is nothing I need to fear. If you are for me, who can be against me? Lord, may I embrace these truths. Lord, we lift ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together and close in a song of worship.